This is Inside the Writer's Head with Emma Carlson Byrne, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2018 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Emma Carlson Byrne. Emma Carlson Byrne, this year's public library writer-in-residence and host of Inside the Writer's Head. My guest this month is Jean Luen Yang. Jean is a celebrated author and graphic artist who has written and drawn many award-winning titles, including American Born Chinese, the first graphic novel nominated for a National Book Award, and the first to win the American Library Association's Prince Award. It also won an Eisner Award for Best Graphic Album New. Jean's two-volume graphic novel about the Boxer Rebellion, entitled Boxers and Saints, was nominated for a National Book Award and won the L.A. Times Book Prize. He's done a number of other comics, including Dark Horse Comics, continuation of the popular Nickelodeon cartoon Avatar, The Last Airbender, and DC Comics Superman. Most recently, Jean is the author of the five-book graphic series, five books so far, Secret Coders, that teaches kids coding and tells a great story about a school for coders, kind of like Harry Potter, but with coding instead of magic. In 2016, the Library of Congress, Every Child a Reader, and the Children's Book Council appointed Jean the National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. His platform as ambassador was called Reading Without Walls, and it's a truly neat idea that he is still continuing, although his term as ambassador has ended. We'll talk more about this later, but for now, let me say, welcome, Jean. We're so lucky to have you visiting the public library, and I'm so glad to have a chance to talk with you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Emma. I'm happy to be here. I'm super excited to be here. Jean, there are so many questions I could ask you on different levels, as a reader and as a fan, but Inside the Writer's Head is about writing and writing process, so let's focus on that. Sure. Speaking to both aspiring and experienced writers out there, can you tell us a little bit about how you started in writing? You were a high school computer science teacher for 15 years, is that right? For 17, actually. <laughs> but the second half of my career, I was part-time. Uh, I, uh, I taught from 1998 until 2015. So it was a, it was a good run. It was a good long run. Uh, and uh, all the way through, I was working on, on books. I started making comic books when I was in fifth grade. I, I, I used to do it with a, a friend of mine named Jeremy Kuniyoshi. During lunch, we would come up with stories, and we'd write and draw together. And then we would sell photocopies of these, of these comics to our classmates. That was the era of zines. That was, that was pre-zines, actually. That was, this was like, like mid-80s. Oh, well, I'm kind of old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pre-zines. <laughs> I don't even think that word existed, zines. But, but that's essentially, yeah, that's what, essentially what we were doing. And, um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So after I graduated from college, I self-published. I began self-publishing. And, and that was the era of zines. So lots of cartoonists were doing it, you know. Um, and, uh, and I kind of got hooked into this community of self-publishing cartoonists. We all lived in the Bay Area. We used to hang out once a week. And that was kind of how I got, I felt like that's how I got trained to, to being a cartoonist. I didn't major in um, art or anything. I, I minored in creative writing, but I majored in computer science. Got it. And what was the first book that you published with a, um, an established publisher? 
The very first book I ever published with somebody else, where it was financed by not me, was um, Gordon Yamamoto and the King of the Geeks. It was with uh, SLG Publishing, which is based out of uh, San Jose, California, and they're a, an independent American comic book publisher. Okay. So that was actually just a collection of the stuff that I had done previously as self-published work. Okay. All right. And it's interesting that you got started self-publishing because, you know, for writers, that's a big source of a lot of, we talk about it a lot. Yeah, that's kind of controversial, versus, right? Versus not. And for you, it was really was your path to success. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, so when I was starting off in the 90s, comics and traditional book publishing were seen as these two different markets. And they've kind of merged since then. They're really having a renaissance. Yeah, now. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, nowadays, like my local bookstore has just as good of a graphic novel section as my local comic shop. And back in the day, it was just not like that at all. Right. So comics in, were a different world. Comics were a totally different world. And in the world of comics, self-publishing did not have that same stigma that I think it has in traditional right. books. Interesting. So in, in comics, there were um, lots of very successful self-publishers. Jeff Smith is probably the most prominent one. He did a, a book called uh, Bone that eventually got picked up by Scholastic. Yes, I just was looking at it. Yeah, it's great. It's a great book. But even now, you know, even now, there's actually two versions of Bone. There's a black and white version that he continues to self-publish. Cool. And then there's the color version that Scholastic puts out. It sounds like there's a certain pride in self-publishing in comics. Yes. Doing it on yes. your own. Yes. Sort of having complete control over the entire package, right? Including the, the production values and, and the cover and everything. The, you, you, like, you have to choose the paper. All of that is in your control. That really sounds sort of like an artist's view versus a writer's view. You know, like a, a visual and fine artist's view of, of one's work. Having complete control over, like you know, the comic book is is the art, is the piece of art, yes. the painting or anything else. Whereas a write for a writer, you're you know, we get consulted on the cover and other things, but um, your work is the text. It's not, yeah, it's not absolutely. The page layout. That was actually kind of shocking to me. You know, after I started working with Macmillan, a traditional book publisher, I was kind of shocked at how little control an author has over the cover. Right. That it's just not, that's not part of comic book Deliberately culture. Deliberately given very little control. Yes. So we don't get too involved. Yeah. Now I'm in, I'm in, you know, I'm part of First Second, which is the graphic novel subsidiary of Macmillan. So in my little corner, I get a lot more control over the cover. But, but I was just kind of shocked at the, 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 yeah. the culture, you know? Yeah. And do you see yourself, um, you know, when you sort of at a gut level think of your own self, do you think of yourself as an artist or do you think of yourself as a writer? I'm definitely doing more writing now mm -hmm. than I am art. I'm only drawing one book. I'm writing three right now. Um, but ultimately, when I introduce myself, I still call myself a cartoonist. Yeah. That's your primary identity. Was your yeah, identity. I think so. I think so. So... You are the first graphic artist that we've had on Inside the Writer's Head and Cartoonist this season. So I think our listeners would enjoy hearing a little bit about your process. Um, I know this is a big topic, um, but tell us a little bit about how you start out visualizing your art, about how the art meshes with the story, and also why you've chosen. You've told us a little bit about this already, but maybe a little bit more about um, why, what the graphic novel format means to you as opposed to straight prose. Because mm -hmm, conceivably mm -hmm. you could transition to straight prose if you wanted to. But the art means something to you. Yeah, yeah. The art definitely means something to me. I, I um, you know, I, I think a lot of my stories start with voice. So in that way, I, I have a lot of overlap with prose writers. Uh, and, and I do a lot of prep work. You know, when I started making comics, the, the, the very first comic that I did as an adult, I actually... Um, kind of 
discovered my way through it. You know, I kind of made it up as as I went along. Is that is that? Can I ask? Is that what you yeah. do? Is that how you go, or um, are you more of an outliner? Well, uh, speaking for me totally personally, I am a complete outliner. Okay, okay. So you're you're my you're my <laughs> school of thinking now. Yeah. Absolutely, I like to know where I'm going. Yes. I feel I, I, as a sort of naturally anxious person, I like to know that the story is going to work before I start in. A lot of writers are pantsers. They just fly by yes. the seat of their pants. Yes. That hasn't worked necessarily for me. Yeah, so I began as a pantser. Right. And I wonder, you know, now that you mentioned the anxiety, I'm a pretty anxious person too. I wonder if that's what drove me <laughs> into... Maybe it's the type A. Yeah, maybe that's know? what it is. Yeah, I'm constantly anxious. So that's <laughs> yeah. exactly it. That's exactly it. Like, uh, I, I would get in these situations where I'd have my characters go through stuff and I would have no idea how to get them out, right. you know? Right. And um, and eventually I moved to outlining. And, and right. even now, like, I'll outline, and, and often, almost always, the, the final product won't look like the outline. It'll be yeah. really different from the right. outline. Which is but, okay. Yeah, but having that outline there makes me feel safe. <laughs> yes, me too. Always. Yeah. I just look ahead, like, chapter 12. Okay, we're on that Yeah, track. exactly. Or we're not on that There track is an ending, right? right? You know, there is an ending. Absolutely. As opposed to when, when I was pantsing, I wasn't sure if there was an ending. Right. There might not have been one. Right, that's right, and that's yeah. a little scary. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the drawing slash writing process for you. You know, what tools do you use? Do you draw freehand? Do you Where do you sit? You know, for writers, straight prose writers, which most of us are, um, you know, it's it's very, un, uh, it's not very interesting. We sit at the laptop and we type on like a Word document and that's about the visuals. Yeah. But let's hear about the art side for you. Yeah, well, well, I, I write the same way, right? I write the same way. I write on, on a laptop, but I do I do this thing. I mean, it's sort of, I, I think I do the same thing with writing as I do for drawing. So it goes back to that anxiety thing. You know, so when I'm drawing, um, I'll usually sketch in a sketchbook, okay. right, before yeah. I move on to the final art. And, and sketching in the sketchbook, like, I feel like I can, I can start my art more easily that way because it feels like the stakes are very low. No one's ever going to okay. see that sketchbook. Right. You know, it can, look, it can look terrible and it's right. not, a, not a big right. deal. You're safe right? there. Yeah. And then, and then when I feel confident about the way things look, yes. then I'll start working on the final art, right? Okay. I do the same thing with, uh, with writing. So when I'm on my laptop, I almost always start by writing a notepad. I'm on a, I'm on a Windows machine. Do you know what okay. notepad is? Um, I think I do know what notepad is. It looks weird, right? Yeah, it's like this, it's like this crappy little app. Yeah, that, I do know what um, it is. You don't have a, a ton of control over the font, really. It's, no. it's meant to do pure text files. So it's yeah. just letters. You just write. And yes. It, it's like the, the uh, uh, paragraph breaks are weird. Or like yes. Or they have any. Yes. And, yeah, and it dates it back to like, like the very, I think it's like the very first version of Windows. See, so this is really computer, old. It's like this right. really old app, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and the thing is, there's no autosave. Okay. So if your, your laptop shuts down for some reason, you lose the whole thing. If Too it freezes for, for some reason, it right. loses the whole thing. But I always start by writing in that. So and then when it feels good, then I copy and paste it into Word. Right. Because right. It feel, that feels like the, the, the digital equivalent of my, so of my sketchbook. It's basically a notebook. Right? right? It's basically, it's basically, it feels non-permanent. And my brain is able to deal with that in the beginning right. until I feel confident. So interesting. Yeah. So I once wrote a difficult thing and I started writing. I used a different computer because I wanted to be able to take it places and uh, it didn't have Word on it. So I asked my husband, who understands computers, what to do. And he said, just use Notepad. Yeah. And I, it was very weird and different. Uh, the text keeps going. It doesn't like wrap. It doesn't. 
Um, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, it's very primitive. It's yeah. a super primitive. I feel like I got different stuff yeah. out of it writing that way. Yeah. So then when you draw, what does it look like? Do you sit at like a big drafting table and draw on a piece of paper for your So, yeah, so uh, up until this point, um, you know, I've only drawn two graphic novels okay. uh, that, that First Seconds put out, American Born Chinese, and then I did a two-volume graphic novel called Boxers and Saints. Right. So those I drew on paper. Okay. So I'll, I'll draw um, at a drawing table at a drafting table, and then when I'm done, I, I, I do the pencils and then I do the inks. I'll scan in my inks into the okay. computer, okay. and then on the computer, I'll letter, I'll do cleanup, and it's also okay. colored on the computer, but I, I usually hire a colorist. Okay. I don't do my own color because okay. um, I'm, ter- I'm really terrible at it. <laughs> uh, but, but right now, I'm working on a book that's my first like fully digital oh, thing where I'm, I'm drawing. Yeah. I'm and drawing you're the, you're the whole the thing. And the artist and the, uh, and I'm, the writer. I'm the artist and the writer, yeah. Okay. I'm the artist and the writer. Okay. So uh, I, I sort of, I feel like I sort of got seduced into it by my younger cartoonist friends. So I'm 44, and it feels yeah. like anybody who's like 35 or younger yeah. has been drawing digitally for like five years or something, you know? And they're all, you've got to move it or into, into digital. You'll go way <laughs> faster. And it has not been faster for me. Right. But, that, that's hard for us when we come in sort of, um, you know, my own mother would like type Hunt and Peck for years because she never had to learn to type. Yeah, she's exactly. A, she's a college professor, yeah. but like she's still, you know, I mean, it's hard when we come in in the middle of something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the topics that you choose. Um, Boxes and Saints is a historical novel, two volumes. One of your earlier works, American Born Chinese, that was your sort of first big, well-known work. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. Um, has an autobiographical basis based on your own experiences with your ethnic heritage. Secret Coders, straight fiction, and a lot of fun. You've even worked on religious topics. You wrote a comic, ad, a comic, this may sound, it ruined my surprise, a comic adaptation of The Rosary Prayer That's right. that was published by Pauline Media, which is a Catholic publisher. Yes. So tell us about how you choose your topics and the inspiration behind, let's say, a couple of your favorites. I mean, I think it's, I think most authors choose topics from their own lives, right? Totally. Like something will catch your eye or... Or there'll be something that's been bothering you for a very long time, and then mm-hmm. you'll work it out by putting something on a page. I think that's true for me, too. So I'd say, like, as a human being, the, the two biggest pieces of my identity are uh, my ethnic heritage and my faith. So I'm a, I'm a Chinese-American Catholic, and, and I'm um, especially interested in the way these two things can sometimes conflict, right? The, the conflict between Eastern and Western ways of looking at things. So I think a lot cool. of the stuff that I do kind of comes out of that. Neat. Did you like writing American-born Chinese and writing about yourself? I found writing about myself very difficult because it feels embarrassing. Yeah, well, there is a layer of, of fiction on that, right? It's, it's, not, so it's not straight right. autobiography. So when I look at folks like Alison Bechtel, um, or, or there's another guy named Chester Brown that I really like as a cartoonist. Uh, they write straight right. autobiography, right. and that feels so scary to me. I think right. someday, someday I want to do it. Yes, but it it's going to take me a it's while, right? Yeah, I'm also writing a work of autobiographical <laughs> right fiction. Right now, yeah, right now, and I'm going on a retreat in a few weeks to work on it, and it's been very hard to write because uh, it's. Very personal, and that having that layer of fiction is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Are you worried you're going to make people mad? I'm no, I'm more worried that I'm going to just like show everyone what I'm really like, and that's always a terrible idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, uh, it just feels so revealing. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've I always sort of cloak my work, you know, behind. There's many layers. If I if anything of myself shows up, it's hidden behind many layers. Yeah. Uh, you know, like a person becomes an animal or something like that. So this is this is like the first like for. 
real thing, and, and it's hard. So and it's I, hard. The fiction yeah. layer helps, though. It totally helps. It totally helps. You know, actually, right now, the, the, the book that I'm writing and drawing is a nonfiction book. It's, a, it's cool. about a, a basketball team that I followed oh, for neat. the 2014-2015 season, a high school basketball team. And I am one of the characters oh, cool. in the book. So cool. that's kind of autobiographical. Yeah, you really, except, were you really one of the characters? I mean, I, I follow were. the team, so yeah. I, I talked about I talk about me. Like it, it, it was a long debate whether I should put myself in the, yes. in, in the in the book or not. But my editor and I went back and forth, and we decided to. So it's not like I'm not the focus, right? But it does feel scary whenever I'm drawing myself. It does feel yeah, scary. It'd be very weird to have to draw yourself. Yeah, and like my wife, I have to put my wife. Yes, in you gotta draw her. And, yeah, and, yeah. Right, yeah. That's you better draw her really nice. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm really yeah, trying. That's, that's the rule. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for a few war stories. Publishing okay. can be a brutal business. And you've had amazing success, but let's hear about a few of the low points. Did you ever feel like giving up writing and drawing? Let's hear about one of your worst writing moments. You just you wish you could excise from your brain, but you can't. Well, I, I feel like I have that moment on every project. You know, usually <laughs> multiple times, but at least once uh, there'll be a point where I feel like quitting. And I feel right. like the whole thing is just garbage. Like, and I don't like this? I don't even understand the shape of it anymore. You know, I can't see the shape of it anymore. And it anymore. was a terrible idea to begin yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just happened just a few weeks ago. I like stayed up all night thinking about <laughs> how terrible this book that I'm writing and drawing is. Yeah. How, you're going to And how all this it's unsalvageable. Yeah, it's right. like it's taking me like 4 years. It's just going right. to be garbage. And you can I, never get it back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's over. Like it's it's and how like like <laughs> yeah, it's just how how my career is gonna disappear. It, it's just the it was a yeah. terrible night. It was a terrible night. But that ha- I feel like that happens so frequently. You know, uh, I remember when I first self published the the very first self published book that I put out right after college. Um, at first, like, I, you know, it was kind of awesome in the beginning. I, I got a I got a a grant for it. You know the yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Of course. So the guys who created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. one of them established a nonprofit that would okay. give, that used to give grants out to uh, self-publishing cartoonists. Because that's how the Turtles got started. Okay. That a self-published oh, cool. book. That's, that's another, so that's another example yeah. in comics yeah. of somebody who just yeah. got wild success from self-publishing. Oh, amazing. It's very different. Than, very different. Than the straight writing. Yeah, yeah it's very different. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I got that grant. So, it, you know, I was super excited. I was really pumped. I started sending it out to reviews. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, there's a magazine called the Comics Journal, which at the time was the only place where you could get like real, true literary criticism of comics and graphic okay. novels. Like a serious trade. Yeah, trade they uh, they they like reviewed the book and they took off my head. It was like it was crazy. <gasps> oh, can you still read that review in your mind if you close your eyes? Yeah, and absolutely, see the absolutely, absolutely. Like that kept me up. That kept me up for at least one night. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and it was here you horrible. are, twenty years later, extremely successful. Yet that bad review. It's oh, still geez. bubbles up there. Yeah, I try not to re- read reviews that's a, anymore. That's, that's smart. I can't really? always. I don't always have enough self-control, but I try not to read it's, reviews. Bad reviews can be really disheartening. Sometimes yeah. they contradict each other. They'll yeah. The same thing. Yeah, absolutely. No. Absolutely. And there's no way you can please everybody, right? No. It's impossible no. to please no. everybody. And and the thing is that the human brain has this way of just making the negative outweigh the positive by like a oh. lot. Like how many good reviews does it take you to forget? Right. Like it's impossible. You'll right. never forget the bad right. review. I don't know if you ever got evals when you were teaching because you were teaching high school. When I taught briefly college students... You know, you get like 27 great evals, and then you get one. It's like, you have a 
this class. Whatever, this is a family podcast, but you know. Yes. This, this, she didn't know anything. And that is the one. You That's would, the like, one you remember. Loud to people. You'd be like, how can you say this? Yes. He's got 27 good Totally, things, right? totally. It doesn't matter. Those 27 don't mean, no, don't no, mean anything, no. right? I just heard Maya Angelou say something similar. And uh, I was like, oh my God, she, well, she wrote it. I was like, I, she said something like, um, when I do well, it's because um, I've escaped. And when I do badly, it's because I've been caught. Yes. There you go. There you go. So we often ask writers to give advice on Inside the Writer's Head. So if you could talk directly for a minute to the aspiring graphic novelists out there, what would you tell them? What should they avoid? And what do you wish you had known when you were starting out in that self-publishing world? Yeah. Well, what I tell what I tell aspiring cartoonists that I meet is that comics just they take forever to do. You know, I have like I have friends who are prose writers, and some of them can get a novel out a year, which I just find crazy. That's like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Right. Uh, but comics just take forever. Like, I have a fairly simple style, drawing okay. style, and even with the simple drawing style, it takes me like four to eight hours to finish a page. And if you multiply that by like two, three hundred yes. pages, it's just, it takes forever. It takes right. forever, right, to, to, to finish a, a graphic novel. And that doesn't really count, that doesn't count the scripting, like the script right. or anything. It's just and purely just the drawing. Work. It doesn't count like things like book tours. That it doesn't count, yeah, it doesn't count book tours. It doesn't count anything else. It's just, just right. the drawing. Right. It just takes forever. And I don't even do my own coloring. Like if so, some folks do their own coloring, I just, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I, I tell them that. I tell them, you gotta, you, you gotta just make time on a regular basis to do this okay. and tell them like, you got to give up like half your friends and all of your TV, you know, right. at least in the you beginning, just to, to just to have the time yeah. to, to get started, you know? Patient. And I think, I, I think once you develop the stamina, um, you can, you can start hanging out with your friends again, you know, <laughs> you can start watching a <laughs> little TV. Yes. Once you get a routine yeah. down, but that routine is so important. And it's, I, I think it's important to develop a, um, a way to motivate yourself to write even when you don't feel like, writing you know and 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 along with that is i think most of us have this voice telling us that we're terrible right and it flares up and you just got to find i've just found that no matter what happens in your life that voice will never go away it'll just right it's like a constant companion and you got to find a way around it right you got to stay in that chair and keep working no matter what yes yes have you read um have you read war of art you know that book no no it's by uh, Stephen Pressfield, who is a um, he's a screenwriter, okay. and that book is all about that. All it's about, all about is it staying in the chair, staying in the chair, it, yeah, doing the work. Yeah, he calls it the resistance about how to how to Ooh. get through your resistance, cool. and that that book has been really helpful to me. I feel like a lot of times writers um, who are starting out spend a lot of time if they produce something small, they spend a lot of time um, talking about the minutia of writing, like publishing, agents, query letters. This is for prose writers. And a lot of what you need to do is just write words. You got to yeah, stay in the you chair and write. write it's, not, it's not sexy sometimes, but no. it's that, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. You got to build a habit. You got to build right. a habit. That's right. You have to do that. So I, we're, we're coming to the end. We're nearing the end. But I don't want us to um, stop without talking about Reading Without Walls, which is your platform, uh, was your platform. And as the national ambassador for young people's literature, and you are still working on this program on your own, although your term as ambassador has ended. Um, as a writer, but mostly as a reader and as a parent of young children um, who are also readers, I just love your three, I call them encouragements, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, 
Um, and I'll, I've got them here. These are your sort of three branches of this program. One is encouraging um, probably young people, but I would say also anybody, right, to read a book about a character who doesn't look like you or live like you. Number two is to read a book about a topic you don't know much about. And number three is to read a book in a format you don't normally read for fun. This might be a chapter book, a graphic novel, a book in verse, a picture book, or a hybrid book. And if you really want the gold star, read a book that fits all three criteria. When I was reading this, um, I was reminded so much of my dad's rule for me when I was growing up. His rule was, when I was a little bit older, was that he would pay for half of any books I wanted to buy. I'd pay for the other half, but that was a lot because I bought lots of books. But in return, I had to read 40 pages of any book he chose for me, which I did not want to do, but I had to do if I wanted him to buy and help me buy my books. Uh. But in the process, I was exposed to authors that he liked, Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, Ray Bradbury, H.P. Lovecraft, authors I never normally would have picked up on my own. So when I read your platform, I thought, oh, my, this is so, this is so familiar. So tell us a little bit about this platform and what it means to you specifically, why you chose well, it. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful that um, the Children's Book Council and Macmillan, my publisher, decided to continue the program. You know, every ambassador chooses a, a platform. And uh, I remember we just we had a meeting on the October right before um, I, I got appointed. And, and we, we hashed it out at the Children's Book Council offices. Uh, at the time, you know, it's still now. We're, we're, we're in the middle of this ongoing discussion about diversity within, not just within books, but within American storytelling. And I think in part that's because our society is growing more diverse and there's a, a, a growing demand for our, our stories to reflect that. So ultimately, we landed on these three challenges. Uh, it's been amazing to see the support that we've gotten from teachers and from librarians, from bookstore owners, from readers. That's in part why we decided to continue the program, even though my ambassadorship has ended. Um, so the idea is both to encourage individual readers to go outside of their comfort zones. I think it's great. I, like, I think it's great to have a comfort zone at the library. I think it's great to have a, a section of the library that you gravitate right, towards. Right. But I also do think that you can't find new favorites if you're not willing to go outside of that comfort right. zone, right? Right. So that's that's the idea. That's the idea for for individual readers, and then for for folks who are serving a community of readers, like like bookstore owners or or librarians or teachers, we want to give them a way of easily highlighting books that are not well circulated that they think deserve more circulation. Another right? look. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of what we've seen. We we've had librarians, bookstore owners, teachers send us these photos of these displays that they've set up cool. for Reading Without Walls. And it's been great to see. And I've heard, like, uh, a librarian came up to me at a, at a conference and told me that, you know, January is usually a really slow month for them. So what yeah. she decided to do was to do Reading Without Walls during January. She set up a big display, and she was able to circulate books that normally did not get circulated in that library. That is so cool. There's so many neat books out there that don't get necessarily yeah, absolutely. Like a second look. Absolutely. You know, their cover art from back in the day is just not as glamorous, but what's inside is really yes. special. Have you had kids come up to you and tell you that they tried this? Yeah. I mean, I see it on Twitter and on Instagram. They'll send me photos of the books that they read. It's That's really cool. That's great. Yeah. That must be so much fun to see that. It really is. Sometimes when you're working, it's hard to remember that there are actual people reading your books, and it means something yeah. to, you're staring into the, like, the void of your computer. That's right. It's you so know. lonely to, to be a writer sometimes. <laughs> it's very it's lonely. Such a, and you, such get a, a, you get a letter a or job. you get a picture, and you're like, oh, 
right, I forgot. Yeah. People are going to read these books, and they like them, too. Yeah, that's right. So we're almost done, but um, tell us a little bit more about your newest project. You had talked a little bit about it, the basketball team, uh-huh. but tell us if you have a title, if you want to share whatever you want to share about it. We would love to hear about it. Yeah, it's called Dragon Hoops. Uh, it's actually about the men's varsity team at the school where I used to teach. Cool. So f- during my last year there, I ended up following that basketball team uh, for the season. And I just found these really amazing stories. You know, I became friends with the head coach. His name is Lou Ritchie. He and I, at least on the surface, are very different. I was I hated basketball as a kid, cause, <laughs> yeah. mostly because I was terrible at it, right? right, right. But it, it was sort of through following this team for a season that I really became uh, a basketball fan. You know, and um, and it's kind of about like like one of the one of the differences, I think, between comic books and sports in general or basketball in particular is that at the beginning of like, let's say, a Superman comic, you kind of know who's going to win. It's right? got to be Superman. Yeah, you got exactly, man. exactly. Come on. But with 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 basketball, you know, you could have the best players on the planet on your team. Right. But there's still an element of randomness there, Absolutely. right? And you are not sure. You're not totally sure. Yeah, there's an there's an uncertainty there yeah. that um, I think kind of mirrors an uncertainty just in life at large. That is so neat. Yeah. So that that's what I felt like I learned during that season. You know, yeah. I, I think um, as as an anxious cartoonist, yes. I always want to be guaranteed the win at the end. Right. But you kind of you have to kind of have to like the the reason why these kids were able to step out on that court was because they kind of made peace with a yes. certain amount of uncertainty. Before Which is they, amazing that yes. they could do that. Yeah, and they're like, I mean, I mean, one of the kids on the on the team was a he was a prodigy. He was a he was a freshman. He was 14 years old. They ended up playing a, a game on um, on national TV. It was it was televised on on ESPN. He took a crazy shot and he made yeah. it. Yeah. But I just thought like the amount of courage that you need to take that shot on national TV right. as a 14 year old. Right. I don't. Like, I, I felt like I got something from watching him do that. Right, right. That it's okay to try, and he yes. may have failed. Yeah, and he did. Okay he too. did. Like, he took another shot, and he missed right. on national TV. Right, but right. And that, you have to be okay with that. You have like to be that, okay with it. Right, and he yeah. somehow managed to capture that at 14. Maybe that's something that some teenagers have. Yes. You know, you don't totally, you're not totally thinking ahead and planning all the steps. And sometimes it works out really well. Yeah, that's right. Terribly. That's right. But, and you got to be okay with that, right? you got to be okay right. with You've that. You've got to be okay with it. Yeah. Well, Gene, I'm so glad we could talk today. This has been the anxiety edition of Inside the <laughs> yes, Writer's Head. And I have enjoyed it so much. For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm writer-in-residence Emma Carlson-Byrne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Thank you. Thank you, That's Emma. great. All right. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Emma at various events throughout the year or at open office hours on the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. until noon at the Coryville Branch Library. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.